0: Milwaukee United Church of Christ presents Acts of Love, a reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, August 30th, 2020. I wrote a sermon earlier last week, and it was fine. It was okay. It was fine. But the world keeps rolling on, and I really just want to talk and think together this morning for a few minutes about power and what we think it means. Between the terrifying power of storms and fire and the rhetoric of fear being used to maintain political power in this country, what's, and what seems to me to be a misuse of federal policing power and the frightening display of weapons in the hands of angry citizens, I myself have been feeling a little bit overwhelmed. These past few months have been dismaying to me And I wonder if I'm alone in feeling that a window has been opened from the world I thought I was living in to an alternate reality that is both ugly and frightening. Maybe not even a window, but a chasm between standing on ground I thought was solid and having to learn to surf on changing tides. In this new world, we, of course, have the pandemic. And that's terrifying, but also I trust our scientists. I know that a cure will be found. But in this new world, I am daily aware of the extrajudicial killings of citizens, disproportionately black and brown by police. I'm aware that it isn't new, but it is new that we know it. I'm aware that officers have been trained to expect weapons because there are just too many weapons in America in the hands of citizens and the officers are in danger. I'm aware that officers have been trained and armed with military weapons and are at the same exact time expected to be mental health workers and social workers and keepers of the peace and they cannot do it all. I'm aware that in some places, some officers are linked with white supremacists and nationalists and are egging those people on. I'm aware that the right to vote in America, which seems so basic and promised, is not protected equally for all Americans. We're all aware now of active efforts to suppress vote votes and the recent undermining of the postal service. I am awake to the fact that our government's response to the pandemic has been utterly confused and inadequate. I used to believe in a world in which America, even despite our history of chattel slavery and the wholesale removal of indigenous people, I still believe that we were built on high ideals. And I used to believe not in our innocence, not in, certainly not in our perfection, but in our movement forward, in us as always becoming an ever more free and a more just country. I believed that we were a country basically on the side of good and always striving to be better. I used to be comforted by the fact that it was America that had the world's most powerful military and not some other country because I thought we could be trusted to use those weapons to defend the good and protect the world against evildoers. And then of course, overnight, A citizen has been shot here on the streets in Portland when protesters and anti-protesters clashed, egged on by this administration who thinks it's a great idea for armed citizens to chase each other down on the streets. I still love this country, our country, but I no longer believe in it. I feel a little bit like a chastened Peter that I have been putting my faith in the wrong things, valuing the wrong things. I feel that I've set my mind on human things instead of divine. The reading that we had from Matthew just a minute ago, so beautifully done by Ethelin, was really the second half of one single story about Peter. In the first half, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? When Peter responded, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus praised him and declared, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Then came the second half, which we heard today. Jesus began to teach that his path was one of suffering and death, and Peter went in one moment from cornerstone to stumbling block. Because Peter, probably quite reasonably, wanted a messiah who was going to be powerful in the ways of the world, a messiah who would be an answer to Roman empire, who might even lead a military campaign, but would certainly wield power and lead his people out of political oppression. He wasn't necessarily wrong to expect that. All of the biblical texts had promised it. And Jesus had been performing acts of great power, multiplying loaves and fishes to create food for a crowd, healing, casting out demons. And Peter just could not imagine placing his trust in a Messiah who wouldn't use that kind of power to negotiate the existing structures to which Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. By this time, Jesus had been with his disciples for long weeks and months. He taught them directly about his new way and about their calling as disciples, how they were meant to be salt and light for the world. He also taught them by his actions, By those powerful actions of healing and feeding, which were done as acts of compassion. He taught them by how he welcomed people, all people And all kinds of people. Peter, who in Matthew's gospel was the first to drop his fishing nets and follow. Peter, who out of all those frightened disciples on the boat in the middle of the stormy sea, was the one to step overboard and try to walk on the water towards Jesus, walking towards him. Peter, who saw and understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God, immediately missed the point, keeping his trust on the way power works in this world. I've been thinking of this question of power, who has it, who doesn't, who gets to use it in overt forms and in what ways, wondering what power means in this world and how we should respond to it. I'm reminded that when Jesus scolded Peter, he didn't say, get out of my sight, get away from me, I don't want you near me ever again. He said, get behind me, line up where you can follow and I can lead. If you want to follow me, if any of you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. You're going to have to stop relying on the structures you think give your life meaning. If you want to find your true life, you're going to have to give up your false life. If you want to be part of transformed, Resurrected living, if you want to see the realm of God breaking into this world, you're going to have to live in allegiance to love and service, and not in allegiance to the power of empire. Not even in allegiance to a power that fights the empire with empire tools. The world that Jesus lived in, lived and taught in, was one that was even more than ours based on shame and honor and knowing your place. But Jesus called his disciples to forget the very systems that gave them their identity. And the the systems that gave them our identity and told them how important they were. Those systems they were to give up. The systems that told them who they should honor and who owed honor to them. It was as if he was saying, Let me tell you a great mystery. Deep down in creation, there is a physics more profound than the superficial one. On the surface, everything is driven by might and violence and grasping. But underneath all of that is a deeper physics. And according to that physics, what is truly important is driven by love and humility and generosity To live according to this deeper physics means that you will suffer, but it also means you will rise. The logic of self-centered grasping, of relying on power structures, of trying to save your own life, in the end, only results in your losing your life. And the logic of neighborly generosity, of relinquishing claims to status and power, of losing your life for the sake of love and justice, in the end, will result in resurrected new life, even here on this planet. So give up trying to score points by your titles, your education, your income, or your property, all the subtle forms of caste in America. Give up relying on power structures to keep you safe, And instead, find your identity in the new way of love, humility, and generosity. Then you will be free. Then you will be really alive. Then you will be able to see Jesus when he comes back, as I believe he does over and over and over again, whenever love wins over hatred. I wonder if we can find, hidden in this hideous year, Wrapped within all its confusion and loss and opportunity. An opportunity to think about the systems that provide our sense of self. Our idea that we as Americans are necessarily, as Americans, immediately on the side of good. Our sense of security, the systems that give us our sense of security in the world, our sense of self-sufficiency. And remember that none of them can provide the life that is real life. So I invite us to examine what systems of domination we have been relying on and to step away from that reliance. I'm not sure how this is to be done in a world that feels so full of menace and is so obviously full of grasping for power and unequal distribution of wealth. So full of dishonesty. But the Apostle Paul gives us some clues. I don't often turn to Paul, but this week's writing was very helpful to me. Paul was writing to a young church in Rome, living at the heart of another empire. And he gave the community advice on how to live in the way of Jesus. He exhorted them, both as individuals and as a community, guiding them so that they wouldn't lose sight of the path. Love, he wrote, in a genuine way. Be grounded in God so that you can love from the very center of yourself. This is what that love will look like. It will look like living as much as you can in harmony. And when you can't live in harmony, it will look like forgiving freely and not seeking vengeance. Living in that way of love will look like giving to the poor. It will look like helping everyone in your own community and throwing open the doors to to your community and welcoming strangers in. It will mean feeding your hungry enemy and praying a blessing on those who have harmed you. Praying a blessing so that they may be healed from their evil and you may be set free from your pain. The way of love looks like having a clear-eyed vision of the world and choosing to combat the world's evil with acts of love, not just thoughts of love or feelings of love, but acts of love. These are big ideas and they're not something we can do alone all at once or even every day. It will require courage and persistence and self-forgiveness and stubborn hope. But one step at a time, we can do it, choosing the self-forgetting, self-transforming way of resurrection over and over again until the way becomes a habit and we find ourselves in joy. Amen.